morning, everyone. The reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. (laughs) You will certainly not die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Perhaps we should have got you to read the whole chapter. You were on fire there this morning. That was great. Uh, For those of you joining us, we've been looking for a few weeks at these early chapters of Genesis, thinking about what it is to be human. We've looked at being made in God's image. Uh, We've looked that we're made for relationship with each other and with God and to rule over his creation. And we took some weeks out thinking that we're not doing a cracking job on creation and we need to do better on that to look after it. We've thought about being made male and female together. It's not just the man or the woman that reflect God's image. Male and female together, we reflect his image. Last week, Andy was preaching about work and rest. And all the way through, we've seen that while everything God made was good, uh, everything is tainted by what we call the fall. That is the story we have today where the man and the woman disobeyed God. Uh, Really, I think the fall is is a bit of a a weak word for it. It's the disaster, the catastrophe, where things went wrong. 
And this is the world we live in, where there's so much that's good that's God made, but everything is spoiled. So we're going to pray that God will speak to us about how we can live for him in a world which is so spoiled and where the evil one still tempts us to go the wrong way. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, you have made this beautiful world uh, and in this extraordinary universe. And we worship you for the majesty of your creation. And as we've already said today, we are sorry that we've gone wrong and spoiled things. We praise you that there is forgiveness, that water of baptism that symbolizes it. But speak to us today, each one of us. We know that the evil one tempts us to disobey you and to go our own way. Uh, open our eyes to what's really going on and give us grace to want to follow you and to choose to follow you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we very much live in Genesis 3 land, not so much Genesis 1 and 2 land. We live in a world where everything is spoiled. Uh, just before I get into this story, a word about symbolism in the Bible for those for whom I don't want you to be hung up about this. We've got a, a talking snake and some tempting fruit. What do you make of this? Um, now, some things in the Bible are very definitely meant to be ta taken literally. Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. That happened historically. Jesus died on the cross. It happened. Some things in the Bible are definitely poetry. So when we read in the Bible, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the earth, we don't imagine something out of Doctor Who with a big pair of eyes on legs running around. That is clearly poetic, and it means that God sees everything. And there are some bits in the Bible where we're not quite sure, is this literal or is this poetic? And Christians take different views. And I'm not going to fall out with anybody, whether you think this was literally a snake and a fruit or whether you think this is poetry. The truth is very clear that the evil one comes and tempts God's rulers who are meant to be looking after his creation his way and they disobey and turn their back on him. And we will see as we go through it how very contemporary this still is. The temptation is essentially to become like God. Let me read uh, verses 1 to 5 again. The snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you mustn't eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you mustn't touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There is this temptation that comes to us to be like God. It's very appealing, it's very modern, and it lies at the heart of all sin. That rather than acknowledging that God is God and we will do life his way, that actually we think we've known better. We live in a world which has by and large turned its back on God and think we can sort this ourselves. we will be our own gods. And we are not made for that weight. Just like children who aren't made when they're young to carry the weight of weighty adult things. It's too much. We need to let them be children if they're going to grow up to be decent adults. So we are not made to carry the weight that God carries. Uh, you may remember that the emperors of Japan we used to be perceived as gods. So in the Second World War, Emperor Hirohito of Japan was seen as divine. Uh, when they downscaled uh, the emperors of Japan to emperors, not gods, 
Uh, one of them said, you have no idea how much extra work I had to do when I was a god. <laughs> We're just not designed to be, God is God. And we are human. We are his creatures to live uh, his way. We are finite, not infinite. And there are some things it's better for us not to know. It's too much to handle all that's going on. But it is a very modern temptation. We rebel against being told what to do. We want to decide for ourselves what's good and bad. Uh, the snake here clearly represents the devil. Elsewhere in scripture, uh, a couple of references, Revelation 12.9 says this, the great dragon who was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Or Revelation chapter 20 verse 2 says much the same thing. Uh, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him. So the scriptures are clear that this is the devil coming in the guise of the serpent. Uh, he, the devil is not as powerful as God. It's not that there's two equal and opposite forces. God has made everything, including us, including the angels, including the devil. The devil is finite and powerful, but he's not infinite. God is far, far more powerful. Uh, but as far as we can piece things together from the scriptures, the devil, instead of worshipping God, wanted to be worshipped himself and was cast down to the earth. And he tempts us the same way, to push God out, to be our own God. He's powerful and cunning. And the way he comes today is very much the same way he did in Genesis 3. He tempts Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. Did God really say you couldn't eat any of the, these trees? Now, God had not said that. Chapter 2, God had said, here's the garden. You can eat all from the fruit of all of these you like, just not that one. That one was a reminder that God is God, that they are not it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It clearly would open eyes to things that were not good for them to know. God said, not that one, everything else. That's kind of a reminder that God is God and you're not. They could eat from the tree of life. That was fine. They were going to live forever with God. Death was not originally the intention. And the devil twists God's word. Can you not have any of this? Isn't God a spoil sport? Imagine putting you in this garden and saying no to everything absurd it wasn't what God had said but the devil still does that today he whispers in people's ears if you become a Christian it's really going to spoil your life if you become a wholehearted Christian it'll really spoil your life and it is not true but he puts that doubt in he questions God's integrity God had said when you eat the fruit of that tree you will die the devil says you won't die now, it was true they wouldn't die physically immediately, but from that point on, death set in. But they did die spiritually. They were estranged from God from that point on. The devil, the, the most effective lies are half-truths. And the devil twists God's word and questions his integrity and questions his goodness. Isn't God a spoil sport? And he still says this to us today. The bottom line is he wants to stop us trusting God and trusting his word. So the devil concentrates on the prohibition. God has concentrated on, here's the garden, eat any of it, look after it all. The devil concentrates on the one thing they couldn't do and tries to expand that. And he denies the reality of judgment and tells lies. Now there was an element of truth. No doubt the fruit did look good. Uh, we don't know what fruit it was, by the way. It doesn't say it was an apple. That was Milton. Might have been a banana. Who knows? Anyway, it was a, it was a fruit that looked good that they shouldn't have. Uh, but that is not enough reason to disobey God. Uh, they can think it looks good, 
but actually God knows best. Now, it's like this. If you parent little children, you tell them there are some things no to, this is not for your good. I remember Thomas, our eldest, who's 30 now, but when he was three or four, he reached his hand in to join the kitchen and got the kitchen knife out and was very excited. Look what I've got. I took it off him and he was not pleased. He kicked my shins. You ruined my whole life, he says. (laughs) I might have ruined his life if I'd let him play with it. But out of my love for Thomas and the wisdom I had that was greater than a four-year-old, I said no. Now, God knows what's best for us. And sometimes we're toddlers ranting at God. You say no and you wreck my life. God knows best. But the devil will concentrate on the prohibition and twist God's word. Of course, what the devil never said was the effects that came afterwards. He didn't tell them that they would experience shame. They'd never experienced shame before. Chapter 2, verse 25, the end of the last chapter, we read that they... Oh, I've just gone to the next, the next block. I missed a bit. Let's, let's keep going. I've, we've, I've, I've skipped over a couple of verses, Martin. The next one... There we are, chapter 2, verse 25. The, the end of the last chapter, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now they've eaten the forbidden fruit. Their eyes are opened to all sorts of things and they become ashamed. Now, you and I know what that's like. Uh, they start to cover up. You and I know what that's like. We don't let anybody see everything. Even with those we're closest to, we let them see pretty much most stuff, but not everything. We still cover up. We know what it is to experience. Shame is a terrible thing. Guilt is a bad thing. Guilt says I've done wrong, but shame says I am wrong. And Jesus came to set us free from it. It was not part of God's intention. It's why he didn't want them to eat the fruit. Uh, The devil didn't tell them they would feel ashamed. He didn't tell them that they would feel afraid. Verse 10, when God comes looking for them. I love this, the picture of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day in relationship with his people. And Adam and Eve hide. And Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. We all know what fear is like. They didn't know fear before. And it comes as a result of disobeying God. Uh, It's always that way around, by the way. God coming looking for us. God is far more keen on relationship with us than we are with him. He comes looking for us. And if you're starting to explore Christian faith, it's because God has been searching after you and he's put something in you to search after him. Do. Uh, that we're made to know God, as we've looked at the last few weeks, to be in relationship with him, to do life his way. And while this fall was a disaster, Jesus has come to make it possible to deal with shame, to deal with fear. And then there comes judgment next. The devil didn't tell them there would be judgment. If you parent teenagers and they rebel against you, uh, you reimpose your authority as a parent, but it strains the relationship. Now, God has given his commands to, uh, his, to Adam and Eve, and they've turned it on its head. Instead of them ruling over creation, they're listening to the creature, the serpent, and they're doing what he said. And of course, it strains the relationship with God. It leads to a separation. And God gives this judgment to the snake, and later on in the chapter, uh, to the woman and to the man. God curses the snake. Let's just read those last verses, 14 and 15 again. Because you've done this, cursed to you above all livestock and all wild animals. 
You'll crawl on your belly, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We'll come back to this at the end because there's just a hint. Christians have always seen this pointing to the cross. That while the serpent would have a real go at Jesus, actually Jesus would win. Uh, but it's just pointing there. Uh, there's judgment to the woman, verse 16. I'll make your pains in childbearing severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. So childbirth, instead of it becomes painful and the relationship between male and female is skewed. We looked at this again. Jesus came to restore an equality between men and women, but it got skewed uh, with the rebellion. To the man, verse 17 onwards, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, to dust you will return. Work was not meant to be so difficult. Looking after the garden was meant to be a joy and purposeful and meaningful, but not so hard. But with our rebellion against God, creation is messed up as well. Now, we know that in our day and age. My goodness, how we have messed up creation. But the work is ne- You get a new job, you're excited about it, but it's never quite all it's cracked up to be, uh, whether it's working the ground and the thorns and the thistles or whether it's working the office and the emails and everything else. But there's always pain in it. And everything is spoiled. All these good things, male and female, family, work, it's good, but it's spoiled. This is the world we live in. St. Paul put it like this in Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 20 to 22. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right now at the present time. Uh, creation itself is groaning. But in our rebellion, it's God. It's affected absolutely everything. And God throws them out of the garden. No longer are they able to eat from the tree of life. Let's read to the end of the chapter, Genesis 3, 21 onwards. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I love this. God still cares for them. They know they're naked. He provides clothes for them. He still cares for everybody. Whether they rebel against him or not, God cares for everybody. But the Lord God said, The man's now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So death starts to set in. And we all die. We know that. We've eaten from this fruit. Every one of us has reaffirmed that choice uh, to do something or say something we know is wrong, not to do something or not say something we know is right. We've all done that. And this is the world we live in. Well, that's the first three chapters of the Bible. And the question is, is there a way back to the garden? The question of how do we get back into relationship with God? It can't end like that. And of course it doesn't. That's chapter three. Uh, There's this hint in the uh, 
and what God said to the snake, that the snake would bite the heel of the offspring of the woman, but that seed would crush his head. There's a hint that points to Jesus, though they wouldn't have known it then. But if we look right to the end of the Bible and see how the whole story ends, we find that everything is better and more glorious than it was even in Genesis 1 and 2. So I do commend reading Revelation 21 and 22 to you later on, but we'll just read a few verses from them now. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5. This is right at the end when Jesus restores everything. Uh, The elderly apostle says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. So God's people are back with him. We read there's a great multitude of them and God is with them and there's no longer any separation. If we read a few verses from Revelation 22, uh, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun. For the Lord God will give him light and they will reign forever and ever. When you read this picture and the other verses around it, you find they're not in a garden, they're in a garden city. There's elements of the garden and all that's best about a city. It's kind of better than the beginning, the best of both. You find the tree of life is there and they can eat and live. There's no more death. You find God is in relationship with them. There's no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more relational breakdown. And no more curse. Genesis 3, there's this curse. The serpent, the man, the woman, the ground, childbirth, relationship, everything is for. There's no more curse. So a question is, what happened to the curse? How did God deal with it? And at the heart of the Bible, we read that Jesus took the curse on himself on the cross. St. Paul put it like this in Galatians chapter 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree or a pole or a cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, loads we can say about that. It's just an appetite wetter that Jesus came to deal with the curse. The picture of baptism, the washing clean is there because God offers forgiveness. The being immersed is a picture of being immersed in God's love. At the heart of the universe is an eternal relationship of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we can be caught up into that. Uh, St. John tells us, 1 John chapter 3, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God 
Let's just finish that verse, keep going. Appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The angel came to Joseph, the reading we hear at Christmas, saying Mary will be pregnant. Uh, Matthew 1 verse 21 says, She will give birth to a son, you're to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 10.10 says this, The thief, that's the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants you and me to know his life. We'll never experience it fully until glory, but we can know it more and more and more. And Jesus has come to deal with all the things that spoil life. Now, the devil will still lie to us about who God is, who we are, and what the good life really is. He will still tempt us to disobey God's word, to doubt God's goodness, to be our own God. But Jesus is far greater And he gives us the Holy Spirit. He's defeated the evil on the cross, so we don't need to be afraid. Uh, I've just been reading the last couple of weeks the new book by John Mark Comer, and it is at least as good as all his previous ones. It's called Live No Lies, and it's based on the lies the devil tell us that appeal to our sinful nature, that the world around us celebrates. And it looks into this, what the evil one's trying to do, how God wants us to be in relationship with him and know his peace. And I absolutely commend this to you. If you've read any of his previous books, you won't need persuading. Uh, It's very good. If if the book on hurriness and rest was based on come to me and I will give you rest, this book is based on you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, And I absolutely commend it. It's a really good commentary on what I've been preaching for now. Uh, But that's enough for now. I wonder if you'd stand. We're going to pray for a minute or two. The band would come back to lead us uh, in song in a moment. Uh, Just for any visitors among us, let me explain. I'm going to lead in a prayer that picks up on these themes, and then we're going to be still for a minute or two. Uh, You might like to ask God questions in your head in that point and listen for the thoughts that he puts there. You may want to process something. God may well bring your attention to something particular he's trying to do in you. Lord God, we bow before you. You are the creator of everything, this amazing world and us. You've made us to know you. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you have made it possible for us to be restored to relationship with you. We praise you for revealing the love of the Father to us. We praise you for dying on the cross for our sin. We praise you for rising again to show us that death is not the end. We thank you that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, pouring out your Holy Spirit. Pour your Holy Spirit down now on this congregation and those watching at home. Come and minister to us and fill our minds with your truth and help us to see the lies of the devil for what they are. So come Holy Spirit. Let's just keep quiet for a minute.